Hey guys, it's Rob. I wanted to do this video right now about the real estate market and where I really see it going in the next six months due to the actions of the Federal Reserve, the local governments, and just the macroeconomics of the situation that we're currently in. So I wrote a book, uh, I'll leave the link down below, and that book had a whole chapter about the real estate market, really comparing it for the last century up to when I wrote the book, I believe it was uh, about five or six years ago. And it looked at comparing the real estate market to gold investments, the stock market, and other investment vehicles. And then I really dove deep into the recession of 2008. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of what happened leading up to that recession and why I'm very concerned about what can happen in the next two to four years uh, in the current market environment. So let's take uh, a history and go back really to 2004, because right now the Fed is doing very similar actions. And if you look back on what the Federal Reserve did in 2004, it had interest rates that were very low. They were at around one and a quarter percent, one and a half percent. Now, the Federal Reserve interest rates are different from mortgage interest rates. They don't directly correlate, but in a general rule of thumb, if borrowing money from the Federal Reserve gets more expensive, the mortgage rates generally will follow that trend and also become more expensive to borrow. Why does this happen? Well, mainly because when you purchase a mortgage from a lender, let's say it's one of the big banks or a mortgage lender such as Bank of America, Countrywide, Rocket Mortgage, one of these lenders that you're working with, what they do and how they make most of their money, it's very rare that they hold on to that mortgage for the 30-year term that you get it for, or 15 years or whatever it is. Most of the time, right after that mortgage is done, they sell it to the secondary mortgage market, which is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, if you've heard of those before. And what that does is it allows them to get that liquidity back, that capital that they put into the mortgage, so then they can do more loans. They also pad in fees on top of that, which is where they make most of their money. So if you think that the people that are making the loans are making most of their money on the monthly interest you pay, that's not always correct. They're selling it to a secondary market. And a lot of times you'll see your mortgage will change hands dozens of times. You'll get a letter one day that Bank of America now owns it and now Chase owns it. And it's just swapping hands because they're just using these securities to get a return on investment. And then they're reselling them on the secondary market. So that's usually how the mortgage system currently works. Uh, also for FHA loans, they're federally insured. So what happened in 2004 is they started increasing the interest rates. And from 2004 to 2006, the Federal Reserve rate went from about 1.5% to 5.5%. Now, each percentage increase is a huge difference on the principal and interest payment on the month. So when the Fed raised that rate, it made the secondary markets to get that extra capital more expensive, meaning now 
it costs more to get that additional funding that only the big banks really have access to. Keep in mind, I can't go to the Federal Reserve, you can't go to the Federal Reserve and take out a billion dollar loan. It's really limited to only the Federal Reserve Bank partners, which are generally major banks. Sometimes there's some smaller credit unions, but in general, we're talking about the big banks, Chase, Bank of America, uh, JP Morgan is now Chase. Um, these banks are the ones that are really taking the money from the Federal Reserve. And they do it almost every day to balance out their transactions. Um, they take money, sometimes they pay it back, sometimes they hold on to it for a longer period of time. But that's really how the mortgage uh, system is functioning is with these secondary markets. So in 2004, when those rates increased all the way to 5.5%, that's when you started seeing mortgage defaults. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the movie, The Big Short, right? Where they bet on the mortgage defaults, basically defaulting and not being able to pay their loans because they were given to people that may not have steady incomes. They may not have had good credit scores. And I'll do a whole other video on, on why I think the whole credit score system is a scam to really hurt a bunch of us. But those are the main criteria that they look at. What are your income statements for the last two years and tax returns? And what is your current credit score? That's what a bank's gonna look at when they give you a loan. If you have a good credit score and you have enough income, generally they like to see your income doesn't exceed, uh, you know, the mortgage won't exceed 30% or so of your take home income after tax income. In 2006, they were allowing people to do these mortgages where they didn't have to state, you know, stated income mortgages where you didn't have to document how much income you're making. So maybe you were really making 70K, but you could put 120K and then you would get qualified for a loan that you really couldn't afford. And what was happening is people were buying secondary investment homes and over leveraging themselves and taking out mortgages that were adjustable rates. So when the adjustable rate kicked in and now your mortgage rate goes from 4% to 6 or 7 or 8%, then it was a big problem and they couldn't make those payments. They ended up foreclosing on those homes. That foreclosure inventory started hitting the market and that created a whole cascade of events. Now they also, in 2006, 2007, the government changed accounting rules to mark-to-market accounting. And that was really what destroyed the market during that time because it made major corporations now mark their assets down to the current value instead of the value that they may have purchased it at. So now everyone overnight had to say, hey, the stocks have gone down. These home prices have gone down. We have to remarket our balance sheets. And now the balance sheets look even worse. Now the stock prices go even lower and it was a vicious cycle. Now, what happened after that is the Federal Reserve lowered rates again all the way down to 2011. Now rates were under 1%. Now that meant there was extra money going into the system, which allowed the home prices to continue to inflate. And that happened over a 10 year period to where we're at today. So when the Federal Reserve came out earlier this year and said, hey, we're going to raise rates again, and they did it at first half a point, 
Now it's 0.75 and they just did another 0.75 raise. What did we see? We saw a shock in the mortgage market where now home rates for even qualified buyers went from 3.25 and 3.5%. Now it's sitting around 5%, 5.5%, maybe 6%. And that could increase, especially since home values have increased so rapidly. Why did home values increase so much? Well, one, the pandemic definitely had an impact because supply of building new homes was drastically lower than most years. Also, the 10 years of having those low interest rates kept borrowing cheap. And you have to think about how you can afford a mortgage and what an interest rate means. An interest rate in general, every 1% increase will decrease your purchasing power by about 10%. What does that mean? That means if you were able to afford a million dollar home, and let's say you were going to pay $5,000 a month for your interest and principal on that home for your mortgage payment, and you're putting 10% down or 20% down, well, if your interest rate was 3.5% for a $5,000 payment to afford a million dollars, if it's now 4.5%, that means that same $5,000 payment will only be able to buy you about $900,000. So you're making the same monthly payment. Your affordability on how much you can make on a monthly payment hasn't changed much unless your interest has gone up. But the ability to afford that million dollar home has now decreased, where now you can only afford a $900,000 home. That's at a 1% increase. If we've increased now 2%, that means when I could have it's paid $5,000 a month for a million dollar home. I can now pay $5,000 a month, but only afford an $800,000 home. So it's important to understand that because a lot of these forces are coming into play in our current market. We've seen some drastic changes. For example, mortgage starts have now hit the lowest rate in about 20 years since before 2008 there's less than 53% of mortgage applications than there were a year ago from today. So consumers are now uneasy about buying a property because they're unsure on where the market's gonna go. Why? Because if interest rates go up more, as I told you, the calculations will have to force prices to come down. Now, who gets hit the hardest on this? generally the average home buyer for a single family home. If you have an apartment property, your rents are probably gonna stay pretty steady. So they're fairly safe investments. The problem is now if you're gonna sell that apartment building, that new buyer is gonna to have to take out a loan at a higher interest rate. So they will have to adjust their pricing down as well to meet the market cap rates. But what always gets hit the hardest is a single family home market. Now the luxury family home market is interesting too because those are jumbo loans. More of those people are paying in cash. Right now we haven't seen a huge effect on the jumbo and luxury market, but I expect that to hit pretty soon. What I see right now is a lot of people that have a lot of cash, they're worried about the current banking system. 
They're worried about the dollar. When you had the BRICS countries, Brazil, India, Russia, China, now announcing new currencies that are going to be backed by precious metals, Russia announced, I think it's 5,000 uh, rubles, or rupee, yeah, rubles, I believe, to one gram of gold, where in 1971, we got off the gold standard in Nixon, which really started in 1913 with the Federal Reserve. Then in 1933, FDR actually made owning gold bullion illegal, and you had to, he had an executive order where you actually had to go into the bank, a Federal Reserve bank branch like Bank of America, give them your gold, and then they gave you a $20 bill certificate in exchange for an ounce of gold. What happened? Two years later, that same ounce was worth $35. So it was a giant Ponzi scheme of just stealing the actual wealth, which was gold and silver. And now we're in a fiat currency system. Fiat means by decree. So in 1971, the dollars were still backed 10% by gold. So I could exchange that $20 bill and get $2 worth of gold in theory. What happened is in 71, a lot of countries like France and European countries said, hey, since World War II, we gave all of our gold to America just to safe keep it in storage. We want that gold back. And it was such a demand to get the gold back that Nixon decided, with Kissinger mainly who decided this, and that's a whole other debate that we'll do videos on on how Kissinger plays into this, and that's why we're building the LimesDenSociety.com to really go and, and have a private place to discuss the history and solutions to what, our, what we're going through. But right now, the big problem is in 1971, Nixon said you can no longer convert any dollars from, into gold. And that became a straight fiat currency. And every fiat currency in the history of civilization has failed. Every single one. It just is a matter of time on how long it takes to fail. I'm sure in history class you learned about the fall of Rome and where barbarians eventually ransacked Rome and they were at the city gates and they said, hey, if you give us, I think it was like 2,000 tons of gold and silver, well, we won't ransack you and we'll just leave. But at that time, they depleted all their gold and silver because for years and years beforehand, they used to have gold and silver coins and they started fooling the public by adding copper to the coins, adding other metal materials, making the coins smaller. And eventually they weren't even made out of gold and silver anymore. So whenever a country gets away from gold and silver, it eventually collapses. And I think this is the concern a lot of people have for not just the real estate market, but a dollar crisis, which is unlike what we had in 2008. Now, in the short term, the dollar's gone up, mainly because the European euro and these other foreign currencies have been weakening even more than the dollar's been weakening. But if you look at the dollar in terms of actual real assets, property, gold, silver, um, Bitcoin, things that are actually not controlled by the powers that be in the stock market have been going up exponentially the last couple of years. And inflation's really taken off on food, gasoline, 
We're seeing it in a number of different areas. Now, there is some supply chain issues which are causing that, but that's a separate conversation. Right now, I just want to talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing and where I see the market going in the near future. So we talked about how these rates can affect the market. Right now, we're seeing mortgage starts half of what they were, meaning applications for people to get a new mortgage are half of what they were a year ago. I expect this to continue, and the real estate market is usually seasonal. So I usually starts to come down a little bit towards the holiday season as well. So we kind of have a perfect storm. Now we also have Biden announcing that they may be coming out with a central bank digital currency that could be announced sometime in December. And he signed an executive order earlier this year about that. You see Canada and Europe also moving to these central bank digital currency systems. So what should you do if you're looking to buy or sell real estate right now? One, understand that just because we're in a macro environment, real estate is specific to each property. You can still find deals that make sense. You can purchase properties where you can still get it under market value potentially because now you have a little more wiggle room compared to a few months ago when sellers were really in control. And you can tell if a market, at least in a local area, you have to look at how many days on markets are properties sitting. In general, if a property on average sells in that market under 30 days, it's considered a seller's market, meaning the seller has the advantage. There's probably plenty of buyers looking for property, so the seller can command better terms, a higher price point. If it's between 30 to 60 days or 90 days on the market, we consider that a neutral market where it's kind of even. The sellers need to be a little more cautious on their pricing or else it will sit on the market and not sell. Buyers need to be a bit cautious on their offers where they can't just lowball every house they see because there is still demand in the market. But if it's over 90 days on the market on average, that's now considered a buyer's market. That means the buyers have the advantage. There's more sellers than there are buyers right there. And I think we're going into a market in many areas where it's going to look like that. I think we're seeing that in some of the markets like Arizona, parts of Florida, and even in California, we're now starting to see corrections down. One, I think the prices have gotten so unaffordable for most people that they're sitting back and waiting and saying, hey, I think prices may come down. Mortgage interest rates have gone up, which means I can afford less. I'm going to wait and see what happens. And I think that's a smart move. But as I said, you have to look at each deal specifically. If you can find a deal that makes sense and the numbers cash flow from an investor standpoint, you should still be getting into good deals. This may mean purchasing an apartment building. This may mean purchasing a four-unit property with a very low down FHA mortgage. Because if you can get it where now, maybe at the peak of the market, you would have to pay more, meaning the three, if you bought a four-unit property and you're getting three rents to help offset that, at a higher seller's market, those three rents may not have covered the whole mortgage, so you'd still have to come out of pocket for that. 
And sometimes it costs you even more than a rental of a similar unit in places like Los Angeles. I think we're going to start seeing that equalize. So I would keep an eye out for opportunities like that, where now you can find properties that are priced correctly, or even with slightly higher interest rates, when you have two or three other properties or units on that property, it may pay for that whole mortgage and you can live in that property in that specific primary use unit for almost free or for half the cost of what it would cost to rent. That makes sense. Even if an environment where we think prices might continue to go down, a deal like that would make sense compared to renting a place that may cost you more and not building any equity in it. But for single family homes, we have to be very cautious. Now, if you can find a seller that's motivated and is willing to sell it maybe 10% of what the current market value is, you're now building in a cushion on what you're looking for. So in case the market does continue to come down, and we've seen a slight decrease in some areas or a little more than, than others, but you really want to be looking at specific deals. Have an idea of where the macro market is going. And I'm very concerned about keeping a lot of cash in the banks right now. So purchasing real assets is not a bad idea. But keep in mind, it's about the individual deal. So you need a great realtor that helps you, especially if you're buying a realtor is usually paid by the seller if it's listed on the MLS. They offer the commission. So it costs you nothing to work with a good realtor. Find a good realtor and tell them exactly what you're looking for and watch the days, the average days on market. That's going to be the big indicator on are we going into a buyer's market or a seller's market. And when you see that going from a neutral or buyer's market, meaning things are sitting for more than 60 days, two months on the market, that's when you should start looking at properties that you like and submitting offers that are maybe slightly lower than the asking price. Submit it 5, 10, maybe 15 or 20% lower and see if you can negotiate a deal that makes sense for both parties. Another big factor that's happening right now is we're starting to see an increase on foreclosure starts, meaning people are getting letters and now banks are filing for foreclosure on different properties. There's a lot of properties that had these forbearances with the COVID restrictions. They didn't have to pay their mortgages for a long time. And now they have actual amounts they have to pay back and they can't make those payments. We haven't even seen that hit the market yet. And I think it's going to take probably realistically 12, 18 or 24 months from today for us to really see that start affecting the market. Because let's go back to 2004. That started happening in 2006, but we didn't see the drastic decrease until the end of 2007, 2008, 2009. So it took 18 months to 24 months to really start seeing that inventory hit the market, which then affected the average days because there was more options for buyers and less buyers available. And that's what really was hitting the market and caused the prices to go lower. Las Vegas prices lost 50-60%. I was in college at the time and my parents had to short sell their house. So I'm very familiar on what happens in these markets and I'm trying to teach you all to avoid getting in a bad situation. 
If you're over leveraged right now, you may want to consider selling a property. Maybe it's an investment property. Maybe it's your personal home and you're really struggling to make the mortgage payment. It may be time to sell that asset, sit back and lease for a little bit and watch how the mortgage, how the market reacts. And then 12 months, 18 months later, take advantage of the market if it happens like we think it may happen. Now, things are unpredictable. Could the prices go up? Could the government tomorrow do more stimulus checks and just more free money printing and lower the interest rates? Yes. So we have to look at what the macro environment and the government's going to be doing. But this is just my perspective on what I think we need to be looking out for and to give you an idea of how these federal interest rates may affect the market. But again, there's going to be deals in every market. You have to look for them. There's also going to be unrealistic sellers asking a price that they're just not going to get right now. So you have to look for the specific deal. And if you're a seller, you have to be realistic. If we're in an environment where interest rates are going up and your house is sitting for 60 days now, 90 days, you should be considering reducing the price. Talk to your realtor about what he thinks or she thinks the fair market value is for that property in our current environment. Because if you wait longer and you're stubborn on your price, it may go even lower and you're going to be in a worse situation. So a few things to keep in mind if you're looking to buy or sell or if you're a realtor that wants to join our referral network or our brokerage, we're available in Virginia, Florida, and California. Just go to wearealty.com and learn more.